Heidi Ho, welcome to The Diary. I'm Scott Johnson. Welcome back. It's another day, another diary, as I like to say. And uh, boy, howdy, have you guys been using your emails. Thank you for that. I figured it'd be a good day to maybe tear through a few of these and let you guys know what's going on. Let's start with this one. This is uh, specifically regarding yesterday's discussion around uh, the Little Mermaid casting and my concerns about why people are so up in arms about the casting of someone of color in a live action remake of the film. I don't know if it's a remake, more like a, a re-envisioning. None of these live action things strike me as remakes, but whatever. Anyway, I uh, got this email from Mike who I think Mike made some good points and then lost me a couple of times, but we'll, we'll read through this and talk about it as we go. Hi, Scott. I've listened to your recent podcast regarding the little mermaid casting I can only speak for myself, but for me, the issue isn't with actors or the color of their skin. It's the way the big studios are using race to generate PR for their films and TV shows. This is a very cynical move on their part. I'm going to agree with this part. Um, I think right now, diversity casting is in their best interest because it does generate a lot of positive and negative PR, but PR nonetheless, right? So I kind of alluded to this yesterday when I, I made the point that they're in a they're in a for profit business and they're happy to have whatever um, whatever pushes or or propels them forward they're happy to accept it and embrace it and absolutely this is true on some level um, I don't know that they're up there at the top but going we need to make sure to get a black girl in this and then make a big stink about it so everybody freaks out about it like I don't know if it's like that or if it's just Hey, we're we're seeing bigger numbers when we diversify. So do that. You know, I don't know. Uh anyway. So yeah, you and I kind of agree on that. Um they all he goes on to say they know that race swapping is a popular or race swapping a popular character will create endless headlines, social media chatter, and YouTube videos, both positive and negative. Uh, instead of creating new inclusive stories, they are recasting beloved roles and using race to sell a product knowing that this will cause controversy and a ton of publicity. Okay, I still sort of agree with that. Do you believe a large proportion of Star Trek, Star Wars, and Lord of the Rings fans are suddenly racist? Uh, Not at all, he says. They're just being manipulated into creating the conversation. It's happening everywhere. Uh, Okay, now here's why I semi-agree. I think a lot of that chatter and conversation does come from them doing this, but there are genuine... Racist, racist a-holes who are happy to be uh, there for the party. Okay, so I'm, it's, it's easy to say that I, you're sort of blanketing and saying, did, did suddenly all these fans of those fandoms become racist? Well, I'm not suggesting that at all. Uh, I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm fully aware that this. We're talking about a, a a minority, a vocal one, but a minority who really has feelings like this. Um, but they're there, dude. It's not, I don't think we want to start pretending they don't exist because I know they exist. I know some of them. Uh, In recent years, big studios have been using race to avoid criticism. If a film uh, or show receives bad reviews, it's always racism or sexism to blame. Uh, Not terrible writing or poor direction. People are sick of cynicism. I certainly am. Just make a good movie. Um, I don't know. I kind of veer off on this one as well. There, I can't. I can't think of a movie that was just bad where they blamed it on racism or sexism. You'd have to give me an example. Uh, 
because I don't know when that happened. I think maybe that's a little straw manny right there because I can't I cannot think of any recent or, or past example where a film reviewed poorly and people blamed it on people's racism or sexism and that's why it did poorly. I don't I don't know when that was. When was that? And I'm not saying there isn't an example. Maybe there is. I just I as someone who's sort of a movie buff and I pay a lot of attention to this stuff, I I can't think of any where this is the case. Uh, he says also uh, the idea that you can only relate to characters if you share their skin tone is totally ridiculous. I agree. Nobody's saying that, though. Says we never uh, used to think this way. Growing up in the 80s, I was obsessed with Mr. T and I'm as white as a ghost. But now we must see a reflection of ourselves and our heroes. Says who? How insulting and patronizing to people of color. Uh, so I think this is where he gets it kind of, well, a lot wrong. I also grew up in the eighties. I also liked Mr. T a lot. Um, and I was also white as a ghost. Uh, but keep in mind, that's my experience and your experience during a decade, by the way, where the casting of people of color was often a bit of a cartoon move. Uh, I would point to Mr. T as an example, (laughs) Mr. T B.A. Baracus, uh, you know, gold chains, mohawk, over the top, ridiculous, great, awesome, love him, but he's kind of an exception, you know? There wasn't a lot of diverse casting. Most of the shows I grew up with as a kid, predominantly, oftentimes entirely white, and it's okay. It's okay that those exist, and it's okay that that was a thing. What I am saying is that bringing more diversity into that is always a good idea. Uh, And I think our perspective is not the one that matters here. For example, so you say uh, how insulting and patronizing to people of color. I don't know, man. I watch these, these compilations of little black girls getting stoked about this news, seeing the trailer and their eyes lighting up and realizing, Oh my gosh, this, this, this character I already loved looks like me. There's something to that. It matters when you are in the minority group. You and I are not. We're not in A, we're not in a minority group. B, we're we don't come from a a long line of uh horrible mistreatment. You know, let alone historical stuff like, you know, slavery and civil rights and all that. And I, you know, you and I don't have a brother-in-law who calls us the N-word, but I've got one that calls black people that and does so with impunity without much repercussion. I'm not saying you do or I do. I'm saying we don't have the perspective. We have a perspective, but is it, is it a shared one? So I think this is a little, this is a lot to assume here. Um, and I don't think this, this idea that we must see a reflection of ourselves and our heroes. No, that no one's saying that we're making that's some, you're making that up. No one must to do anything. It's freaking entertainment and mythology. And I'm with you. I'm with you up to this point where I, you know, the studios are in it for the studios. Like, of course they are. I'm not that naive. I don't think they're out there trying to do good in the world. They make their money from what they do and what they do is what they do. Totally agree. But I don't, I don't know about this, the side of it. Anyway, I'm, I'm personally tired of this divisive conversation that is dominating pop culture. It's killing some of my favorite franchises, taking all the fun out of fandom and it stems from manipulative big board, uh, big boardroom politics. We've all been played in the most disgusting way. I believe using racial division to market your products is disgraceful. Totally agree with that last sentence. I don't think it's ruining your franchises, though. 
you didn't name any, but what franchises have been ruined? And how much of that is just, they're not talking about it in the show. So when you see a Black Hobbit, the Black Hobbit doesn't go, well, thanks to inclusion, I am now a Black Hobbit. Uh, That's not what's happening. They're just playing the role of a hobbit and they're doing a good job. And if they do a good job and they play the role and the show is good and the lore is there, why do we care if he's black? Now, you can say that was a sneaky little move by somebody at the top. Maybe. Does it matter in the, in the, in the end product? Because I hate to tell you this. All media is manipulated for you to want to pay for it. All of it. Or for advertisers to advertise for it. Every single thing. White people black people doesn't matter. So if you're going to, if we're going that route, I hate to tell you this, but things like star Wars and star Trek and all of our favorite old school, you know, burned into stone franchises and, and fandoms that we have, they don't get made without those current market conditions being met either. <laughs> and they just don't, it doesn't exist. We only get to love them on the back end. All the front end is, is this, does this make money? If it doesn't, we're not doing it. If we do and we lose money, we're never going back to it. Oh, it does make money. Okay, cool. What if we remade it in 20 years? That'll make more money. That's all of it. There's never been. See, this. the problem with what kind of part of my problem with what you're saying is I feel like it makes us this assumption that in the past it was somehow different and it's not different. It's always been this way. You know, the pieces on the board may have been may change, but the game is the same. Anyway, I uh, says like slimy Grima worm tongue whispering into your ear. The studios are manipulating all of us and they know exactly what they're doing. Don't fall for it. Well, that's slightly patronizing as if I'm falling for it. But anyway, just as two cents. I appreciate it, Mike. I appreciate your thoughts. I, you know, you and I are totally agreed on the, on the corporate end of it. Cause I think that's absolutely true. Um, but I think there's a lot of minutia on the front facing side, the part where it actually hits the ears and eyes of people. And that's kind of where I'm mostly focused because the other part you can't, you can't separate. It's a capitalist society. We, they're not in this for the art. They never were. No one is once in a while. Great art comes out, but usually at the expense of all sorts of, you know, executive wrestling and years of being on the shelf and finally getting it approved and then switching directors four times. And, you know, the great stuff doesn't, doesn't just come. Because the studios are like, yeah, man, we got a story to tell, man. They don't care. They have money to make. Creators have a story to tell. To get the money to tell your story, you have to convince the people who just want the money to give you the money and then make the story. And if you're lucky, an amazing thing happens, which then people will rip on years later because you made some change to it. (laughs) It's just the cycle, man. Anyway, I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for that email. A couple others here. These are short. Keith wrote in, says, Scott, can we get an update on your brother-in-law's condition? Not sure if you'd mention it anywhere else. Uh, Keith. Keith, I did a um, full-blown like Twitter uh, thread. So it's an entire thread of, I don't know, 10 or 12 tweets. And yesterday's update was that he did pass away. Um, they just couldn't, they couldn't keep him. After all this damage, I mean, six bullets, one to the abdomen, the rest were in his leg and groin, and he just couldn't make it. They took his leg to try to slow things. That didn't really do much. They took his entire colon, removed it. Um, they 
uh, his kidneys failed, had to put him on dialysis. He's not, you know, awake for any of this. And then um, his liver started to fail. His lungs started to uh, not work on their own. They had to have him on a ventilator. And by the end of, well, by the middle of yesterday, the doctors are like, uh, basically, we're just keeping him alive with this these machines. He's not. He can't do none of this is going to, you know, everything's deteriorated. His his organs have shut down. He's he's this isn't going to go. So they made a decision to turn all that off. And, you know, in some cases, the human body will kick in and go, all right, I got this and whatever. But in this case, it just didn't it just wasn't in the cards. Uh, It's all grim and terrible. The the investigation that's happening with the cop that shot him um, the six times she is currently on administrative leave. While they do the investigation, the investigation in, involves a, a, a more in-depth autopsy than you would normally have. And as a result, that's pushing dates around in terms of the family being able to get a proper funeral and all that. So this is all up in the air. Oh, none of it's good. It's all kind of bad. Um, you know, the one thing I haven't really talked about is Maybe I have, but this is this is a. I think I could, did talk about it on here, but this is a brother-in-law and a sister-in-law for me, who uh, of all the family anyway are the most like not around. We just don't talk to them very often, or see them. It's been like a more than a decade. I want to say sixteen, seventeen years since we've seen them. They've just been doing their thing in in Oregon. You know, we talk here and there and stuff, but. Um, it's almost worse that nobody was super close with them because now. Uh, everything is just super 2020 in your face, right? You're just like, oh my gosh, we gotta, we gotta go, 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 go. So I don't know, man. It's just a bummer, bummer situation from top to bottom. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm twisted emotions on a lot of it. Like I'm mad at him for going out there with a shotgun in the middle of a situation he wasn't aware of. I'm mad at the cops for shooting at all. I'm mad at the media because they didn't really cover it much and they gave the cops too much time to sort of regroup and figure out what their messaging messaging is going to be. I mean, it's just a lot of, a lot of messy mess mess and I hate it. But anyway, Keith, I appreciate you asking and that is the current status. So I don't know what it means for the next couple of weeks for us here at the Johnson house. I got a, you know, Taylor's having a baby. My daughter's having another baby in a week and a half. Um, a little girl this time. And then, so that's crazy timing. Um, I got a business trip to Texas. I got to take that's, I still don't know what I'm doing that. It's just a lot. It's a lot going on. So anyway, but I appreciate checking in, uh, 7P 2000 wrote in, uh, this is, am I supposed to pronounce that? I don't think so. 7P 2000 doesn't look like a word. It's not phonetic. Anyway, Hey, Scott, wondering if you could talk about this on the diary a little. What kinds of TV do you have running in the background when you're just sort of listening while working, etc.? I love the show. 7P2000 is the name. Um, so it's funny you should ask because I. This may sound weird. All right. It's time for Scott to reveal a little a little something here. Uh, but this may sound a little bit strange. I. Um, I just started doing a new thing that is this what you're describing. <laughs> and, uh, and that thing is that I, I start, I started watching intervention episodes of intervention. Netflix has like 21 seasons or something, whatever it is. And intervention is 
you know, it's a show about people with severe drug addictions, usually alcohol, sometimes, um, you know, some, some terrible addiction that's just wrecking them and their family has, has to do a, an intervention. And the, the, the template for the show is identical every time you spend the first half of the hour following that person, their family interdispersed with some camera interviews with those self same people. Uh, but you basically just watch their downfall and you spend a lot of time with them in bathrooms, shooting up, you know, snorting Coke, doing whatever they're doing. Um, it's all very, you know, grim. Uh, and then the last half is, or the middle part's usually, hey, finally we're going to have this intervention. You meet the interventionist. The family gets together, decides what we're going to do. They get the person in there. They trick them into getting in there. Then they basically lay it all on the, on the, on the table. They read their letters. Everyone gets all teary. And then they ask them if they'll go into treatment. And then they sometimes say no. But almost entirely, almost, almost 100% of the time, they, they agree uh, maybe with a little drama, but they agree. And then they're off in a van. They go to some, this is all Canadian stuff. So it's always some Canadian, um, recovery center. They go to the recovery center and then it's like three weeks later. And then you see how well they're doing. They put on weight. They, you know, look healthy and they're talking better. And they're, you know, they're just like all free. And then at the end, they'll give you a little credit saying, you know, Judy continued her program for the, for 90 more days and was released. She relapsed two months later <laughs> or whatever. It's like always this horribly depressing. They relapsed. They took drugs again. They're back in the problem. Like they, it doesn't happen every time, but more often than not, as with probably real life, you know, addiction, they relapse. My point is it's all very depressing kind of top to bottom with the exception of the bit at the end where they're trying to be, you know, there's a positive spin. You went to, you went to get help. You're in recovery, all this for some reason, when things are a little sour in my real life, whatever it may be, like right now it's this family death and sometimes it's other things, whatever. I put on what looks like what should be the opposite of what I want to watch. I watch this sort of stuff. I watch horror movies. I watch documentaries about serial killers. I watch, um, I can't think of another category, but I watch things that are, seemingly on the surface antithetical to the point of what I need. <laughs> and yet I do it. And I don't know why I find it cathartic. I do. I have a theory about it. And I've said this about cops years ago. Um, learning recently, some of the stuff that went on cops really bummed me out. But anyway, I used to use cops in this way where I would watch these shows and um, including this stuff I'm talking about now and I think what it is, is it's like, hey, you think you're going through a rough time. Not even close. Look at this. Right? In the case of these reality shows where people are struggling, it's like, look at what they're going through. Look at this nightmare scenario. Or if I'm watching a horror movie, it's like, yeah, you're, you're not being chased through a haunted house with a hatchet and about to have one embedded in the back of your head. Right? I think that's it. I think it's cathartic in the sense that it's like, I get way too um, emotionally invested in the negativity that's happening. And so when I see, when I watch stuff like this, it's this reminder that, Oh, it could be worse. It could be a whole lot worse. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's like being in a fender bender and then immediately driving by just a, a horrible wreck and going, Oh, that could have been me. That's, that's slightly weird. Cause that, that means I'm, 
weirdly grateful somebody else got in a worse accident than me. It's not what I mean, but like in, in television, for, that's why it works on TV or movies. It's like, this isn't, this isn't real life. It's just a thing that's happening that I'm seeing on a screen. Uh, what did Homer Simpson say once? Um, let's see if I can find that clip. Yeah. He famously said this. <laughs> it's funny. Cause I don't know him. All right. I learned a lot from that line. It's a very old Homer line, but it's uh, the idea is that, you know, because we don't know somebody, it's either funny or it's less tragic because we don't know them or or whatever. I think there's a little of that going on with me. But anyway, uh, bottom line is, yeah, that's what I do now in good times when I'm not feeling that way and need to somehow put uh, dirty bandages on a, on a, a festering sore. I like to watch Futurama in the background, things like old stuff like MASH. Um, uh, Frasier, Seinfeld, uh, you know, stuff like that. A lot of animation, uh, bad eighties cartoons. I'll watch the transformers, just have it on that sort of thing. So really, uh, very mood dependent, uh, when that happens. All right. If you want to be like one of these people and why wouldn't you, you got thoughts, feelings, comments, follow-ups, whatever, scott.internet at gmail.com. That's just the address we're going to use here. There's nothing. It's not a highfalutin name. Like I'm not going, Oh, the internet is mine. Scott's internet. That's not what I, it's not the point. It's just a one Gmail account I'm not using. Okay. <laughs> so scott.internet at gmail.com is the email address to send things to. And I'd love to hear back from you. If you have any thoughts about the, I don't know, the aerial thing again or whatever. I'm happy to hear them out. It's like Mike's email. I'm really glad he wrote in because I don't know the stuff about the corporate end is important. It's important. I don't agree with everything he said, but you know he's got a point. If you've got a point, no matter what the point is or where it points to, I'd love to hear it and uh, send them right away. Okay. If you want to uh, help out uh, the show and me and my livelihood, one of the ways uh, you can do it is join the the Frog Pants monthly Patreon. It's a, kind of a standalone Patreon. It's a monthly one, uh, so you could for I think a dollar a month you could sign up. It's like ridiculously low, but basically it's kind of a catch all for all the extra shows. I do this skim and a few others, plus some comics and other stuff. So uh, anyway, if you're feeling generous and uh, can afford it, we'd love it. Head on over to patreoncom slash frog pants. That'll do it for now. We'll see you on the next diary. Take care. Be safe. We'll see you soon. <laughs>